for tuning in. We want you to come out Wednesday nights at 7 and Friday nights at 7 to be a part of what God is doing here and also so you can hear what God is saying today. Now, having said that, I remembered what I was going to announce. In the strangest of ways, it's amazing what happens when the camera comes on. Okay, and by the way, you're not going to be on the camera, only me. And, uh, but I want you to sound like an audience of 600, okay? Um, we are considering, and I need to hear from you on this, we're considering on Sunday afternoons to doing uh, some like workshop or clinic teaching. Um, I need to hear from you about this, if that's something that you'd like. We're considering on Sunday afternoons in the very near future having uh, like a, a couple subjects being taught. You'd come in and we'd have an hour or so of something on a subject like uh, the supernatural, either the prophetic ministry or seer gifts or, uh, you know, that sort of thing, how that all works or healing or whatever. And then that would be followed by another session of something that would be fundamental to our faith, sound doctrinal teaching. Uh, we, I'm just going to be real honest with you. Uh, the church today is headed into a place where uh, it is absolutely and totally critical that she know the word and she live the word. Um, and it's, you're going to need to put that in your tool chest. You're going, you're going to need to have the word with you in the coming days more than you ever have had before. And we feel our responsibility to teach not only this house but all of those who follow our ministry Folks uh, will be driving in on Sundays and coming in from other churches to be a part of what we're doing here. And we want to encourage you to be looking for that on, on email and stuff. But I need, I need you to contact me via email or through, uh, you know, this little gray box. Or tell me some way what you're thinking on those lines, if it be beneficial or not. So we need to know what you think because it's important to us. Okay, so we've welcomed our viewing audience, and we're going to kind of start off. i got three or four different ways I can go, okay? And I still haven't decided exactly what I need to do and which way I need to go. So I'm just going to kind of get started, okay? Did I mention something about the supernatural life? I think I did. Due to um, the Lakeland outpouring that's currently happening down in Florida. There is something that is happening in the spirit that is tremendous and it's, it's, it's different than anything I've really ever experienced. And I tell people that as I travel about and as I talk to folks, believers, who are keeping up with the outpouring, as I talk to people, it seems to me like one of the effects of the outpouring is that the faith and the hope of us average everyday believers is rising to a level that is unsurpassed in my lifetime anyway. People, people see the healings and, and the miracles and they, they hear the words of prophecy that's being spoken and they believe this. The, the average person is tending to believe today that if God can do that in Lakeland, He can do it in Jessup. Or if God can do that through Todd Bentley or with Todd Bentley or in spite of Todd Bentley. He can do that with me or through me or in spite of me. You know, we're, we're, we're coming to the place, honest to goodness, we're coming to the place where, where I am sensing in the body of Christ that it is becoming more about Jesus and less about the people. And... And we've said that, you know, it's, it's, it's all about him. It's not about me or it's all about you, Jesus. We've, we've sang the songs and we've said the phrases throughout the years, but now it's, it's really that, that thing is coming forward. And when we get to that place as a body, that's when we begin to see really dynamic things begin to happen. And God has created us to be a supernatural being. How many of y'all believe that you have the Holy Spirit resident in you? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's about 100%. He's in there. Did you know this is the same exact person and being that when there was, close your eyes a minute, close your eyes, what do you see? Blackness. Did you know this is the same exact being who saw the blackness and called light out of the darkness? 
It's the same being who created everything that there is out of nothing. It's the same being who is timeless, who's immortal, who's invincible, who is higher than the heavens, the chiefest among everything. The, the, the Lord God Almighty is living in you. And the more you come to realize that, and the more you begin to embrace that, and the more you really sense that and understand that, the more, the more you can feel Him move. I'm telling you, you have the, the power that created everything is living in you. Now what does that mean? What kind of implications does that have in your everyday life? You see, God has created you to do certain things, but the reason He inhabits you and the reason He dwells in you is because in your flesh, in your natural creation, you're a mess. You're corrupt. You're subject to sin and you're subject to disappointment. You're subject to failure and you're subject to death. So part of the miracle that God works in our life is in spite of our composition. What God does is He comes and indwells in us the Most High God and He overcomes all of that stuff and more in order that He can do great things through you. You see, you know, I really believe that's the thing the devil hates the most. He knows who you were before you were God's. He knows who you were in the belly of your mama. He knows who you were before you received Jesus. He knows all about you. Okay, Every, he knows about you. And I think when God invades your life, and when He begins to habitate in you, and when He begins to stir in you, and when you come to life, and when you begin to realize that something is different and something has changed, and when you begin to take those first infant steps in your Christian walk, being obedient to God, I believe that, I, I believe that, that is the greatest terror the enemy's ever had. I believe it drives him wild. I believe he cannot stand it because he knows that the, that the, that the Lord who defeated him on Calvary, is in that weak vessel, and he's fixed to get whipped again. If he allows you to travel down the road you're traveling. If you, if, if you grow, and if you mature, and if you begin to access what's in you, it scares him to death. And all of a sudden, when you begin to scare him, when you begin to frighten him, when he begins to take notice of you, okay, when he begins to take notice of you, and he begins to make assignments against you, and you begin to feel a little pressure, and when you begin to feel a little threatened, did you know that that should be one of the most exciting times of your life? Because when hell begins to take notice of you, yes, itty-bitty, teeny-weeny you, when hell begins to take notice of you, something has really changed. Did you know I can point back to several times in my life when I didn't have any trouble with the devil? It's so true. I can point back. Now, here's something that's even scarier. I can point back to a time in my ministry when I had zero problems with him. Did you know that's embarrassing? It's embarrassing for a preacher to stand before people and maybe... You know, possibly sixteen to 20,000 folks view it on television and say there was a time in my ministry when um, the enemy didn't threaten me at all. You know why? Because I was no threat to him. You know how I knew that? I had people come and tell me. I did, honest to goodness. Let me tell you all a little story, okay? And, and we haven't read scripture yet, but it's okay. Everybody on camera, just hold your breath. We'll, we'll get to the scripture in just a second. There's a story I need to tell you. And I'm not sure any of you have heard this story. Maybe two or three of you have, but most of you haven't. I remember as an infant preacher. You see, God took me off the farm. He took me out of the, literally took me out of the pig pen. And he carried us to a cosmopolitan city for a city church. Now he's, got, he's got a good sense of humor. He dropped us off square in the middle of Macon, Georgia. 
about, um, I don't know, about the time, I guess, probably 300,000 people. And I just believe God called me to preach and pastor. And so me and my wife and our children, we went down that path and we struck out and went to Macon. We picked up everything we had and moved up there. And uh, I had no training. I had no nothing. I had six months of experience as a, let me see, here's the word, okay. In our denomination, they licensed you. But there's a word they called us, and I still today, it kind of makes me go, <clears throat> even when I think about it, a licentiate. Did you know how that's, that's dangerously close to licentious? Did you know that? We were a li- I was a licentiate for six months traveling around and preaching at churches on Sunday. So from the time I expressed to my church, I had a call to preach, there was 24, 25, 26 Sundays that I actually preached in a pulpit before I was ordained to do the work of the ministry. Had no training. And less than 40 sermons under my belt. Now granted, I was a Sunday school teacher for many, many, many years. Okay, And I did some preaching in the Sunday school class. But... Here we go off to Macon. I'm doing the best I can. And there was this sweet, wonderful lady, and she's passed on to be with the Lord now, so has her husband. Her name was Frances Collins. Frances was confined to her home, and, and every Sunday afternoon I would visit her between the morning and the evening services. She was homebound. So I take off and, and go down there one Sunday, just like I always did. And uh, Frances was, she was just a gentle, sweet lady. And she said, uh, Brother Keith, she said, are you familiar with Pastor So-and-so? Well, Pastor So-and-so was a, was a big deal preacher in our denomination. I said, yes, I love to hear him preach. She said, well, I have a Piggly Wiggly grocery bag. Now, y'all remember those days? That's been a long time ago. You actually got a bag, a paper bag when you went to Piggly Wiggly. She gave me a Piggly Wiggly bag full of this man's tapes. And I was just, I was just so blessed by it, and and I and I just thanked her. And I said, "Why did you give me this?" Now, now listen to this. Her husband named Bill would never come out and and visit with us whenever we had our visits, but he stayed in his bedroom with the door open and the lights off, just beyond the living room, and he would listen. And, and I knew that. I said, I said, "Why did you give me all these tapes?" And out of the darkness. Came a voice. <laughs> and Bill said, because you can't preach. <laughs> and you know what? Bill was right. You know, I'm telling you, that was one of those moments that I absolutely and totally embraced what somebody said, although it was negative, knowing it was true. Now, I'm going to tell you all something. You need, to grow, you need to get there sometimes, Okay. Because that's something that's hard for us to do. So anyway. I don't know if anything's happened over the last 18 years or not. But here I am today. Or tonight. You see that's just one of those things. And I won't bore you anymore with anything along that line. But simply to tell you that. The real thing is that. God had came and indwelled me and he had impressed me and he had burdened me to do a particular thing and although I did not know how to do that particular thing I went on at it anyway making a fool of myself on more than one occasion but you know what that was okay because I knew that I had the approval of heaven to do what I was doing. I had the approval of heaven to make a fool out of myself. And I want you to know tonight, and maybe somebody watching needs to hear this kind of before we get into the message, but maybe you need to understand today that you have got the full approval of heaven to make a fool out of yourself. And it's okay. But you need to remember, as you make a fool of yourself, God is going to take that. And He is going to use it in extraordinary ways for the balance of your life. To do things that you cannot possibly imagine 
I'm telling you, you really don't understand all the time what one little simple act of obedience can do in the world or in the spirit realm. But you have the Lord of glory living in you and He is not going to let you drop. He is not going to let you be wasted. You have, you have all the power of creation in you and what I'm here tonight and what, the, what one of the purposes of this ministry is it's encouraging you to the place where you can, you can work up the courage or the boldness or the bravery just to one day say, okay, God, I've got it now. I'm willing to let this thing go. So, dear God, use me. That's what we want for you. And we will do whatever necessary to help you embrace that. It may take you a long time to get there, but we're patient here aren't we? We're patient here. And he's patient with you. But the one thing I want you to understand tonight and every other time you come here is that you are a supernatural being. You are created for something better than the ickiness of your everyday life. And the ickiness of your everyday life, it, God is going to use that as a tool to frustrate you, to aggravate you, to drive you to the place where you fuss and complain and you moan and you groan and you throw fits. He's going to use the ickiness of your everyday life to one day get you to the place where in spite of that, in spite of it, you're going to become who he has set his heart on you to become. I'm telling you now, it is unavoidable. Run if you want to. I can show you a place in the Bible where a prophet said that. He was just going to run. And bless his heart, he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. You know, I've wondered about, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, maybe I'm killing time, I don't know, but I think it's important. Let me ask you a question. If you got thrown out of a boat because of your bad attitude, I mean, you were so bad, a bunch of sailors didn't want to be around you. But you belong to the Most High God. Your attitude was so bad, they threw you overboard, and all of a sudden, you felt the ocean move from around you, and something swallow you up, and you realize that you're in the belly of some great fish. Now, by the way, in the nomination I used to be in, the argument was this, was it a, was it a fish or a whale? Do y'all know the answer to that? Was it a fish or a whale? <laughs> I'm telling y'all, we have preachers argue over that. Anyway, by the way, one place it's called a fish and one place it's called a whale. Take your pick. But anyway, the fish swallowed up this prophet and for three days and three nights, he was in the belly of this whale before he finally confessed the deity and the sovereignty and the omnipotence of God and the fish threw him up on dry land. I've got a question for you. Would you have stayed there three days and three nights in the belly of a fish before you capitulated into the will of the Father? You know, that's stubbornness, isn't it? Maybe some of y'all been there. But you're a super, your destiny is unavoidable. And the thing you need to understand is every possible tool you could imagine that you need to get done with what you need to get done with, you have already. It's there. You don't have to pray for that. It's present. God's just waiting you to get to the place where you're willing to take up the tool chest and go to work. Now, if I ask you the question, and we fix to get to the Word, if I ask you the question tonight, who is it or what is it you're created to be? Think just a minute. What would your answer be? What are you created to do? What are you created to, to um, embrace? Now, there's no right or wrong answers to this, okay? Think for just a minute, and I'm going to take answers. What is it that God has created you for? 
Okay, I'll take answers. What? To love him. What else? Worship him. That's so good. What else? Huh? Good works. What else? Be an encouragement to one another. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. I'm, I'm totally convinced that 95% of the church dropouts could be regained if we just encouraged them. What else? What else are you created to do or to be or to have? Be an ambassador. What else? Huh? Be a servant. What else? Huh? Seek peace. Teach. Okay. Coming from a pastor, teach. That's good. Yeah, to accept everything he has for us to be able to receive it and to enjoy it. Okay. Oh, we're getting there now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, break every yoke. What else? All right, now we're in the groove, okay? We're on the uh, lose track right now. When God created man in the garden and everything was said and done, what was it that he specifically told man, which is Adam and Eve, what did he tell them to take or to have? Dominion. Did you know one of the chief problems that you and I have today, the reason why we are so miserable half the time, is because we have not learned how to take dominion? Now, would somebody like to answer why that is so? Huh? Okay. Excellent. What else? Don't you just love this? Fear? Ignorance? Ooh, yeah. Not enough faith. That's right. Now, and we could, we could ball all that together and say this, is that our natural daddy, God gave him dominion over all the earth, over all the beasts of the field, out of all the fowls of the air and the fishes of the sea. He had total dominion over the earth. And along came a serpent and sat down beside him and frightened Daddy Adam away. <laughs> you see, Daddy Adam, for whatever reason, and you know, the reasons are in the word, but for whatever reason that's comfortable to you, why? Daddy Adam gave the dominion of all the earth over to the serpent. And then the serpent became the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of darkness. He became the accuser of the brethren. He became the deceiver and the liar. He became the ruiner of homes and the destroyer of lives. And our lineage has been so affected by that that in our natural state and natural condition we've absolutely lost sight of the fact that we were created to have dominion. Now, our older brother whose name happens to be Jesus or Yeshua because Daddy Adam gave dominion away Jesus told our Daddy God, Abba, Father, that he would come and he would recapture or retake or reclaim that dominion. And he did. He did it through a cross and he did it through a grave and he did it through the resurrection from the grave. Now, when he did that, what happened? The present reality of dominion was restored to man. Because Jesus operates by delegated authority principles. When he ascended unto heaven, he gave dominion and authority back to man. Now we have to deal with the adversary. We have to deal with the enemy. We have to deal with the serpent. 
and we deal with him every day. But what I want you to understand is Jesus has reclaimed dominion and he's given it to his brothers and his sisters. He's given it to his family and dominion should be our family shield. And we've got to learn how to not capitulate to the enemy because he's still lying to us and making us think that he has the upper hand. How many, for example, how many times has he come into your life in the last month and he said, you can't do that. That's too big for you. Nobody loves you. Who do you think you are? Sometimes he does this, ha, 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 ha. How many, does that sound, does he, has he tried to do that lately? Let me tell you something. You do not have to even engage in a conversation with him. When Jesus rose from the grave and gave dominion back, what really happened was we were lifted up above lots of things. And the reality of the situation is that we live above that now. But the enemy is trying to make continue to deceive us to make us think we're still in it. So the thing that we have, the thing that we were born to have, the position that we are to occupy is dominion. 2 Timothy 2.12 Let's go back before that just a little while. Paul says, and I'm reading from the, uh, the um, King James. I use lots of different Bibles, by the way. I'm using this one tonight. This actually, this Bible was given to me by my wife's daddy. When we got, sometime around, when we got married. And uh, it's, I've cut my teeth on this thing. Therefore, this is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. All right. Why do you, why do you struggle with this dominion thing? Paul said something right here. He said he endured all things in order that they might obtain salvation. Did you know part of the, part of the divine purpose in in, in, in your struggles and in your um, problems, and as we talked about last week, your it's, okay, your it's, part of the reason for that is, is to bring you to a conscious awareness that you're doing that and you're going through it for the salvation of people. You see, when he saved you and when he indwells in you, one of your divine purposes is to engage in the process of God's Divine salvation. Not only for you personally, but also for other people. To witness, to encourage, to be a light, to be a beacon, to be a help, to not be a hindrance, to be salvation for people. That's part of your purpose. Now let's keep going. It is a faithful saying, if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Wow. Next time you're going through a tough spot, remember this. I'm going through this tough spot that I might reign with him. You know what? I gotta, I, I'm going to tell you a little secret, and we could develop this theology uh, tonight. We could go a long way with it, but I, gotta, I got news for you. It's sort of a dichotomous statement here. If we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. Listen, while you're suffering, you're reigning with him. Let me tell you something. He loves you so much, even when you fail, you're reigning with him. Even when you disappoint him, you're reigning with him. Even when you sin, you're still reigning with him. 
You know why? You know why that's so? Listen to this. This is so cool. The reason that is so is because he has ordained it that way. But listen, your mistakes and your failures and your foul-ups cannot and will not ever threaten the work he's done and the work he's going to do. Therefore, if we're reigning with him, we're secure. And he reigns and we reign in spite of it. See, you're a prince in training. You're a princess in training. And you're learning. And I want to just be, I, I want you to just take, everybody take a deep breath. Go, it's all right for a prince or a princess to make a mistake. That's one of the things we major in around here. We give diplomas out for that. We have days when we recognize people for messing up. We will put your name on this little marquee outside. No, we wouldn't do that. But you see, by the same token of Christ not being threatened by your mess up, you look around. These people in here are not threatened when you mess up. They're not threatened by that. You see, the love of Christ is so strong that He's not threatened by our screw-ups. We have learned to imitate that and our love for each other has to be so strong that we're not threatened when we mess up. It's not going to affect our love for you. We just let you throw your screaming fit and get through with it and we go on with life. Because we learned something many years ago. If somebody comes in and they're having a bad day, let them throw a fit. Let them kick and scream, holler and rant and rave, so to speak. Because after a while, they're going to get tired and they're going to have it all out of them. Then you know what? They're normal again. I used to be a bad whiner. Oh, I'd whine, dear Lord. How you doing today, sir, brother, pastor? Well, uh, I'm doing. How many, you know, that's always an invitation for a conversation, isn't it? Doing what? I used to be a big whiner. And if you talk to my wife, even still today, I do whine some. But I've learned that the people in this ministry allow me to whine. Now, I'm, I'm going a long way here, okay? I'm going a long way here. As a matter of fact, I'm at the point of exaggeration, trying to make a point. And I hope everybody on TV is getting this loud and clear too. Because the church, one of the things we've missed in terms of reigning with Christ is that if we're going to reign with Jesus, we've got to reign together. And one of the real tragedies in church today is people can't be who they are. I'm telling you the truth. I, this, so help me. In most churches today, the person who sits here can be sitting right beside a person sitting here and this person can be dying and this person not even know about it. Now it's not altogether this person's fault but this person has learned that in a church environment you have to mask who you are and you have to pretend what, what your life is all about. You have to cover your pain and you have, to, you have to disguise all your disappointments. And so therefore, you're taught to put on a happy face. And this person here recognizes a happy face. And they think, oh my, my, this is what the norm should be. And so this person begins to do the same thing this person is. And listen, it's taught that way from generation to generation to generation to generation. And that person can die and that person not even know they were dying. That's a tragedy. One of the great things about being in a prophetic church is that everybody will know your stuff at some point. That's right. 
I'm telling you the truth. I learned years ago with this crowd I circle with, um, you know, walk into a room, three minutes later, everybody knows what's going on anyway, so, you know, so just be okay with it. You don't have to wear a mask. But it's all about, and I don't know exactly how I got there, But that's part of the characteristic of being a prince and a princess in the kingdom. Being a reigning son and a reigning daughter. Part of that process is, is, is loving the rest of the family like you've been loved by daddy. Okay? That's part of that process. Dominion and reign. Another thing, another thing that you are called to do and I want you to hear this. Now, when I, when I speak dominion and reigning to the weak, that should lift your faith. Okay? It should lift your faith. You should walk away with a different understanding or a different view of yourself than you did when you come in. Now, I'm going to talk about another characteristic. One of the things you were created for, your destiny is to win. Now, I'm not talking about the lottery. But, yeah, hey, you know what? I'll tell you how spiritual I am. I'm this spiritual. I remember when the lottery came out years and years ago, and I understand, you know, there's, I was, in, a, I was in, a, uh, in Florida before it came out in Georgia, actually returning from a revival I was conducting down there, and I stopped in this quickie store, and this lady pulled into the, to the parking lot before I did, and, and she had four little kids in the car, hot as a pistol, and the windows was rolled down. They didn't have air conditioning, and I had air conditioning. I didn't want to get out to go in, but I had to. And she went in before me, and I went in after her. And while I was getting my stuff, she was at the counter. She had a, she had a paycheck. I never will forget it. And the reason I know this is because she and the clerk were conversing. She had, she had a paycheck for, for $221 and some few cents. That lady, come into, she went to the lottery counter, and she bought $200 worth of lottery tickets. And I'm looking, there's four little kids in the car. Now see, that's the shame. That's the shame of the lottery. But as this was beginning to develop in Georgia, I mean, <laughs> even in the paper, you know, and, and, and everywhere you'd go, they'd be, churches would be saying, you know, uh, oh, you know, if, but there's nobody in, our, <laughs> nobody in our church would play the lottery. Matter of fact, nobody in our church even know how to do this scratch-off ticket stuff. They're so spiritual. Yeah, right. When's the last time they went to the quickie store? Okay? But I remember the statement was made like this. Now, I remember reading this in the, in the, in the and I think it was the Jessup paper. Interviewed one pastor, or there was a comment or something. That if one of your congregationalists, one of your congregates, one of the people in your church uh, won a million dollars in the lottery, would your church accept the tithe from that? Oh, no, we would never do that. You know what? I'll tell you something. I'm gonna be, I'll look you straight down. I'll tell you this now. I'm not telling you to go out and buy a lottery ticket. But if you buy a lottery ticket and you win a million dollars and you come in here waving a check for $100,000 in my face, guess who's going to leave with the check? I'd be a total idiot not to. <laughs> Think about it. Okay, enough of that. Y'all just send the cards, the letters, and the emails. <laughs> okay, here, listen. You were made, created, destined to win. Now, when I speak that, and somebody feels like a loser, that'll get their attention. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many people feel like they are a loser, but I could just about promise you that there's just, if there's people, if there's two people in the room, one person would raise their hand. I'm telling you now, the lie of the enemy is that you lose, that you, you would lose. That's a lie. Watch this. Philippians 3. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 8. I love this passage of Scripture. Philippians 3, 8 through 14. 
How are we on time, Jerry? 20 minutes? Okay. Paul says this, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, if you, take, if you would have taken everything in my life that was a symbol of success, enjoy achievement and accomplishment everything that was held near and dear to me and you would have put it all in one pile this big mountain he said i would consider all that a pile of manure that would be the genteel translation but i would have counted all that but manure just to apprehend and win christ let me give you that in just a little different version. If you would take everything that I had ever attained that meant anything to me, that I valued highly, and put it in one place, it would mean nothing but dung that I might win the anointing. You think about that. That I might win the anointed. That I might win the anointing. You know, here's where the rubber meets the road. What is it in your life that you would trade off and accept in the place of the anointing God has set apart for you? Now, it says Christ here, that's a person, that's Jesus. But his title is the anointing, the anointed one. Is there anything in your life that you would trade and give away for the anointing? You know what? When I was in the Baptist church, I didn't even know what the anointing was. We didn't talk about it. And now I know why we didn't talk about it. And I'm not... You know, I'm not really making fun, but I'm just telling you the truth. Didn't have a clue. And now, after having tasted and embraced and received and experienced the Holy Spirit, now, in certain places, doing certain things, I can experience and feel a tangible difference and a tangible feeling. I'll have a, there'll be a tangible something that's just different that will allow me to do or say something that changes the entire environment that surrounds me. Speak to it. I'm 50 years old and I'm now just learning how to do that. Oh, what would have happened? If I, had, if I had grasped that when I was 18 years old. Oh, my, my. But at 18, I was too busy doing something else. But what I wouldn't give now for having received it at age 18, but the reality of the anointing in my life is now, oh, my, my. What can I accomplish between now and the time I draw my last breath? You see, that's the difference it makes. The anointing in your life is set upon you for you to win. And I'm not doing an, a, an injustice to Scripture by saying this. I don't see in Scripture anywhere where God wanted anybody to be a loser. I don't see that. there's an anointing on your life. God has set you up to do particular things and the faster you realize that and come, and, and come to grips with it in a, in a real tangible way, the faster you are on your way to winning. 
As a matter of fact, I'll say this, the instant, the instant, the instant that you make that determination, you've won already. See, you're a winner. You might not even know it yet, but you're a winner already. There is absolutely and totally nothing you cannot do under the anointing. So therefore, when you realize that all this stuff that used to mean stuff don't mean stuff anymore, you'd rather have the anointing. Isn't that great? Let's read a little further. Or further. Oh, I like this. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of the anointing, or through the anointed one, Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. The cross is where you receive forgiveness and life, but it is in the grave where you receive the power. Remember last week I talked about you identifying your it, whatever it was, and when you identified the it in your life, instead of running away from it, you need to run to it, embrace it, jump in the grave, strangle it to death, kill it there, and come out of the grave as fast as you can. I'm going to tell you something. That meant something to me. But it is, it is through the passage of the grave where you receive power. You know Him. Know Him is the primary thing. Knowing Him first. Because you know, that's a sure test for a witch coming into a congregation of people. And I can tell it pretty quick. You know a witch is saved if they want to know him first, but if they want the power first, they are not saved or at least not converted. So the desire of our heart should be to know him and experience the power because it's through knowing him that legitimates the access and the apprehension of the power so that we can apply it in our life. Anything less than that is thievery. You know him. You got to know him right here. How long does that process take? Well, it depends on how broad your definition of knowing is. I'll tell you what, people today who are lost and who don't know Jesus, the last thing they want to be told is that it's when you preach Jesus and how wonderful he is and how he's the answer to all your problems and he's the power that you need and and uh, give your life to him, and, and, and you can just go forward with things. The last thing a, a lost person wants to hear after that is, well, you know what? Um, we're going to need to get you into this Bible study, and, and you've got to go through two years of training there, and, and then you've got to, you've got to wash um, toilets out and scrub the floors and cut the grass and you know, s s sparkle up the steeple and that sort of thing. They don't want to hear that. You know why? Because that sort of thing is no better than the bondage they have already. But a lost person, through the working of the Holy Spirit in your testimony, whether you're preaching the gospel or just giving your testimony to witness them, the workings of the Holy Spirit will convince and con it'll convict that person of their sin, and they give their life to Jesus and heart to Him, and they experience the the flushing of of the of the, of, the, of the grave and the resurrection, that new life. Hey, man, right then is when you can start walking in power. You've got to know him. You've got to know him. So God has called you to dominion, and he's called you to win. And he's called you to be a person of influence. Did you know each of you have a sphere of influence that nobody else has? 
you have a circle of friends and acquaintances and a place where you work, you have an influence that nobody else has, but you are special and unique. And you're called to influence people in a positive way. You remember in Acts chapter 10 when Peter was on the rooftop and he had this vision of a great sheet knit at four corners and God just let that thing down and there was all manner of beasts in there, the unclean and stuff, and God told Peter to arise, kill and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, it's unclean. Happened three times. No, Lord, it's unclean. No, Lord, it's unclean. About that time, there was a knock on the door and it was some Gentile dudes down there wanting him to go to a Gentile's house, a man named Cornelius. Because Cornelius, if you keep reading the chapter, had been visited by an angel. And the angel gave him divine specific instructions to send a delegation to Joppa and inquire for a man named Simon Peter at the house of a man named Simon who was a tanner. Kind of specific. Did you know God's that way? When he tells you stuff, he gives you specific stuff. He's just that specific. So they went there. And so Peter, who had the dream, and went to Cornelius, who saw the angel. Imagine that. You start talking about that day, and they think you've been to Lakeland. Wouldn't they? And then all kinds of condemnation would come your way. Then anyhow, he went there. Cornelius fell down at Peter's feet, and Peter said, Stand up, man, don't you worship me. He said, Get him up off the floor. He said, he said Why did you call me here? And then Cornelius recounted, to what the angel had told you, he said, we want to hear about Jesus. And there was this great body of people in Cornelius' house, and Peter began to speak and preach. In a very short way, he gave them the gospel of Jesus, and the Holy Ghost fell, and they started speaking in tongues. And, and it was through that moment, y'all, that something very historic happened. You know what it was? Let me tell you how important your daily events are going to be tomorrow. What happened then was that a biased, prejudiced church in Jerusalem who was full of nothing but Jews because Peter went to a Gentile house, they started speaking in tongues, they received the gift of the Holy Ghost just like the Jewish believers did. Peter was able to go back and talk to the mother church in Jerusalem and tell them what had happened and it was because of that that the mother church accepted ministry to the Gentiles and embraced them into the family of God. All because Peter was obedient and he had a special and unique sphere of influence that nobody else had. Then Paul was able to, to go and spread the gospel into the areas of the Mediterranean and finally into Europe itself. God's called you to influence. 